Well, good evening. Hope you've had a wonderful afternoon. Welcome to those of you who are joining with us there on our live stream, whether you're on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitter. Be sure to heart, to like, to share, to follow us there, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, all those things just help to get the word out. Also, uh, be sure to comment there. Uh, just say that you're here, even if you're in person. Uh, that just gets the word out even more uh, through their algorithms and things that they have to let them know. But welcome uh, if you're joining us there online, as well as on our phone live streaming. Uh, if you need that number, please call the church office at 9 9314550645. I can't read the screen back there on that part. Uh, so just want to encourage you to do that. You can ask me after service if you need it. You can call the church office. We'll be glad to give that to you. Uh, also encourage you to go to the church website if you have the access to the website, uh, highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download today's worship bulletins uh, as well as the children's worship bulletins, the one for ages three and up and seven and up. Those are in the windowsill to my right. If you need a bulletin, they're around in all kind of places in the windows uh, at the doors. You can pick those up uh, too. And then let me also encourage you to get your uh, prayer list down downloaded to this week and be praying through that prayer list. A lot of people uh, who are on there who we want to continue to remember in prayer uh, will be updating that some on Wednesday night. So uh, encourage you to be praying about uh, individuals that you may need to give us an update uh, on to get ready for that on Wednesday night. So uh, get that downloaded. If you need those in person, they are still on the front pew over here to my left uh, and they will be out on the table throughout the rest of the week. And then also don't forget you can do your online giving uh, there on the website. Go to the far right-hand side, click that Give Online tab, uh, and you can do that real easy platform in person. You've got your envelopes in front of you, or you can do it online uh, also, uh, even through your cell phone, uh, you can do that. So I encourage you to take advantage of that and do your offerings. If you need to give your offerings, the offering plates are down here. So Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us. Take your hymnals and turn to hymn number 14. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty. We're going to do all four, Tommy. Miss Pat. Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise health and salvation.
Notice that one missed one word in it. <laughs> Instead of all, or all is what the screen said, A is what the hymn book says. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> hey, it's right. So, well, we'll get that corrected for the next time. Uh, as I told you last Sunday, I had a message already prepared that I wanted to share with you if we had the time uh, after our business meeting. And so uh, after praying about it, I just felt led to go ahead throughout the summer month here of July uh, to begin on Sunday nights, uh, taking a little break from uh, the life of Jesus. And we're going to be looking at life in the Psalms. Uh, we're going to go to Psalm chapter 3. We're going to just be looking at several different Psalms throughout the month of July. Uh, and so no, no particular rhyme or pattern here, just uh, several passages here that I've never preached on and wanted to cover some of those chapters. Uh, and so Psalm 3 is where we're going to be at tonight. We're going to begin with reading verse 1 and verse 2. So if you would, let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we spend this time throughout this month looking at some psalms, Lord, I pray that you will use these psalms to encourage us. Maybe just simply, Lord, to encourage us to begin reading the psalms more, to be reminded of how much they speak to our daily lives and where we are and things we go through and struggles and how we can overcome those things as we see David overcoming, as we see others who turn their hearts to you. And so, Father, I pray tonight that as we look at this psalm, we know that trouble will come for every one of us in some way, some shape, some form. And I pray that when trouble comes, this passage will help us to be better prepared for that, uh, knowing that if we're not going through trouble right now, it will come around the corner. And so, Father, I pray that you will just bless us with your word tonight and your truth, uh, that it would lead us and guide us into the days ahead. And, Father, we ask your blessings from the book of Psalms uh, upon our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. You know, as you think of the Psalms, they, they really are songs. Uh, they're songs for the soul. They speak to the heart. And this third Psalm is a unique Psalm in the fact that it's the first time that the word Psalm is used. You see it actually there in the, the superscription there. Uh, that we did not read that says a psalm of David 
when he fled from Absalom, his son. So that's just a little notation that's given in the Hebrew text when you look at this psalm uh, that kind of gives you the setting for, for where it's at. It's not part of the text itself of, of the verses that we would uh, read, but it's just kind of giving you the history, the, the layout, if you will, uh, for where this comes from. And, and so that's the first time that the word psalm occurs uh, in the Bible. Uh, the, word, the, word, the Hebrew word there is mizmor. Uh, which means a poem that's to be sung to musical accompaniment. Now, it's maybe not a poem in the sense we think of that has to have every verse rhyming with each other and, and then having some kind of order to that, A-A-B-B-C-C, -C, if you remember uh, how to do rhymes in, in English and those kind of things. Uh, it's different than that. It's a song that's written through David's experience, through what God speaks to him uh, in his heart. It's the first song that David is recorded as having written. Now, he, was wrote, he wrote many of the psalms uh, that are here uh, and many of the ones maybe even that aren't attributed uh, to him specifically probably were written by him. Uh, but in, in this instance, it's the first one that we know for sure this, in, this one was written by David. Uh, it's a song for today. Because I believe that, that this psalm speaks to where many of us live day in and day out through the life, trials of life that we go through. And, and that's because of the background of this psalm. The background of this psalm is bad news. I mean, think about it. Have you ever experienced a day or maybe a week or maybe a month or maybe even a year when bad news was good news because the next news was always the worst news? It just seemed like everything kept getting worse and worse, and you wish it stayed back here with some of the bad news you got the first time. Or, or you know, I heard of a doctor who called a patient in one time, and he said, John, I've got some bad news for you, and I've got some worse news. He said, what's the bad news? And he said, well, you've only got 24 hours to live. The man said, well, what's the worst news? He said, well, I've been trying to call you uh, since yesterday. <laughs> so, you know, these were dark days in the life of King David. Not only had his son Absalom rebelled against him. I mean, think of that. Think of those you have children that your child is rebelling against you. Not just uh, a little teenage tantrum that sometimes happens in, in teenagers' life. This is a serious issue. He wants to kill his father. And the nation as a whole has been deceived into following Absalom and had been turned against David. David had gone from a king to being a criminal on the run. Uh, he was even being ridiculed uh, as a coward by people along the way. And so one morning when the armies of Absalom were closing in on him, when it appeared that everything was lost, the Lord gives David this psalm. This psalm can easily be divided into three parts. You'll notice that each one of the parts ends with the word selah, selah. So three times you'll see uh, the, that word. Selah ends in verse 2 at the end, in verse 4 at the end, and again in verse 8 at the end. So this word selah means something like this. It means stop and think about what you've just heard. 
It functions sort of, if you will, as kind of a pause or kind of a speed bump, if you will, to get you to slow down and to listen to what God has just said. You know, we would do well to do that sometimes when we're singing our songs. Not maybe, we don't maybe necessarily have to do that in the actual singing of them, but to think at least, to stop and think about what am I singing? What are the words that I'm singing? Do I really mean those words? And so uh, that's kind of what this word functions at. So remember that the Psalms were songs that were sung by the people of God. And the song God gave David is a song that God gives to us when we face any of these kinds of conditions, whether it's if, if you have any kind of problems, if you're under any kind of stress, if you have any relational difficulties, if you're going through physical illness, if you're being unjustly criticized, if any of those things are happening to you or have happened to you, then stay tuned. Because if they haven't, they will. And this song is a song for you. For if you're going through those times right now, if you've been through those times, or if those times are just around the corner. So what God does for David here is, first of all, he gives him some bad news. Then he gives him some good news, and then he gives him the best news of all. First, the bad news. Here's the bad news that we need to realize that sometimes we face. You have people who will be against you. You have people who will be against you. That's what verse 1 and verse 2 is talking about. How do we know that? Well, look again at verse 1 and verse 2. It says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many are my enemies? Many are rising against me. Many are saying uh, of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. So stop and think about what he's saying there. He's saying if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've determined that God is going to take first place in your life, then you need to understand that the world is a battlefield for you. War has been declared, and you as a believer are public enemy number one. We fail so often to understand that as far as Christians are concerned, the world is enemy territory. So if you go with God, if you're following the Lord, and you go in any direction that you go, you're going to meet the enemy. A Christian doesn't have to go looking for trouble. If you're a child of God, trouble will come looking for you. In fact, Psalm 119, verse 157 says, Many are my persecutors and my adversaries. Psalm 34, verse 19 says, Many are the afflictions of the righteous. So we need to realize that every day when we get up, we have at least three enemies that are just waiting for us to walk outside our door. Now, I don't want that to scare you about getting up in the morning to leave your house, but understand you have some enemies that you're going to face every single day. You've got at least three. We have an enemy that's around us, you have an enemy within you, and you have an enemy beneath us. The Bible calls these enemies the world, the flesh, and the devil. And the, the world, that's our external enemy. The flesh is my internal enemy, and the devil is my eternal enemy. 
All three of these are enemies that are working 24-7 to try and get you away from God, to try to cause you to lose your witness, to lose your testimony, to lose your character. For example, the devil may whisper in your ear, you can get away with that. You don't have to worry about that. Even though you know that the Bible says, be sure that your sins will find you out. The world will say, oh, you're just a, a product of evolutionary chance and, and your life has no meaning at all. Even though the Bible says that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and you too. Your flesh says, eat, drink, be merry, for tomorrow you may die. Even though you know that the Bible says, whatever therefore you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. You know, it's sometimes amazing that we as Christians get amazed when, when some people don't like us because we're Christians. But here's what Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 19. He said, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We here as believers today are to be light living in darkness, and darkness hates light. And you have enemies who are going to be against you. Listen to what the, these enemies were saying about David. Look back at verse 2 again. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So understand what they were saying here. They're not just mocking David. They're mocking David's God. They're laughing at David's faith, and they're making fun of David's father. The word for salvation there, the word salvation or deliverance, literally means victory. And so what they were saying was, David, we thought you were singing about, oh, how great is your God. Where are you singing now, David? Where's your great God now? You're not living some victorious life. You're on the run like a criminal. That's one of the most shameful statements anybody can ever make about a follower of God. Quite frankly, that's what the world says about many Christians today. Where's your God? You've said he's coming back. You said Jesus is coming back. Where is he? Where's your God when bad things are happening around this world? Uh, be honest. The world doesn't take the church seriously. And because of that, the world doesn't take God seriously. The reason is, is that the world sees a church many times that doesn't take God seriously themselves. So I want to give you a thought about uh, today about your faith in God that I hope you'll never forget. Understand this, the world can't see our God, but they can see our faith, and they'll measure the size of our God by the size of our faith. You understand that? Let me say that one more time. The world can't see our God, but they can see our faith. And they'll measure the size of our God by the size of our faith. So what we need to do, both in the way we live our lives on Monday and, 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 and the way we even do church on Sunday, is to show the world by our great faith that we serve a great God. If you look at Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, it says this, But the people who know their God shall stand firm and take action. 
We ought to want people that walk into this church, that see us in the community, to see a people that know God. We ought to want them to experience what it's like to be uh, around people who see the invisible, who believe the impossible, who want to do the improbable. The world has their gods, and we have our God, and we need to show that there is one God and that there is no God like our God. In fact, that's what Psalm, uh, Samuel, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 2 says, There is none holy like the Lord, for there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. So let me ask you, is that the testimony of your life? When the world looks at your life, do they see that you serve a big God, that there is no rock like your God? The first thing you're going to realize is you're going to have enemies around us. But you also have a Father who is always for you. That's the good news. That's the good news. So look at verse 3 down through verse 4 here. David had made the same fatal error that many Christians often make when they're in the middle of trials and troubles and tribulations and difficulties. They focus on their enemies and focus on their fears. And who do we forget? We forget the Father. We forget God. Let me tell you what I've learned. When you focus on your enemies and you focus on your fears, your life will be one day after another of doubt and discouragement and depression and defeat when you're focused on those things. But when you're focused on God, it's a different story. One of the purposes of trials and troubles is to get you to focus on God. Because so often we get complacent, uh, we think we can do things, we think we can press forward in our own strength, and we need to realize that it's God who's in control, and we need to remember to focus on the Lord. Whenever problems and trials come into our lives, uh, do you know what we tend to do? We use them as kind of a microscope to focus on ourselves when we ought to use them as a telescope to focus on God. And that's exactly what David began to do in verse 3. So notice he had already said, my enemies, there are many. It's just un unbelievable what they're saying about me. Verse 3 begins with that word, but. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. What an encouraging, encouraging verse. That's why I love the Psalms. Because David or others who are writing these psalms, going through a crisis, going through a tribulation, and somewhere along the way, God begins to work in their life through the psalm that they're writing, and they begin to get their focus off themselves, off their trial, off their circumstance, off their fear, and they begin to focus on God. And that's exactly what David does here. Notice there in verse 3, he says, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. What does that word about mean there? It literally means around. It means around. David understands that in the middle of trouble and in the middle of trials that God is a shield around him. Understand this. Did you know this, that God surrounds his people with his protection and his love? That's a promise from his word. That when you're in the midst of those trials and those troubles that you can stand on to know that God is there to act as a shield all the way around you. Doesn't matter how you might feel, 
He's there to surround you. It, it, and so it, it literally means they're uh, around. Psalm 34 uh, verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. So think about that. Whenever you go, wherever you go, wherever it might be, the angel of the Lord pitches his tent right beside you. So if you're in trouble, if you're facing problems, if you're facing difficulties and, and mountains that you don't think that you can climb, God is right there with you. What a promise from His Word. And we all remember in the Old Testament those three godly men who were thrown into the fiery furnace, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you remember when they were cast into the fire and, and they looked into the fire, what did they say? They said, oh, look, wait, there's a, we even sing, y'all sing a song about it. There's a fourth man down there in the fire, and that's the Son of God who's standing right there with them. And so uh, you think about when the disciples were in the boat and they're being tossed about by the stormy sea, and Jesus wasn't in the boat this time, but yet here comes Jesus walking across the water in the midst of a storm to come to his disciples. You think about Paul when Paul was sitting in a Roman prison in a dungeon waiting to die. Jesus was living in him. And so listen to what David says about God in verse 3 again. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory because I want to bring glory and honor to you in everything I say and everything I do, the way I live, the way I talk. And then notice that last phrase, and the lifter of my head. Why did David refer to God as the lifter of, my, of his head? Think about it. Whenever you're discouraged, whenever you're defeated, whenever you're depressed, what do we tend to do? We tend to hang our heads. I just don't know. We tend to hang our head. We're in trouble. And those troubles were weighing David down. His shoulders were drooping. His spirits were sagging. And his head was hanging. Now you might be tempted to say, who could blame David under the circumstances? Well, that was the point. God was trying to show him that, David, you're not under the circumstances, you're over the circumstances. Think about this. You can't ever focus on God when you're looking down. Unless you're looking down at your Bible <laughs> to read your Bible. You can't ever focus on God when you're looking down. That's why our outlook is to be determined by our uplook. And so Jesus was talking to the disciples on one occasion uh, about the great tribulation uh, that's to come, and, and he was describing the terrible conditions that are going to be present on the world during that awful period of God's wrath uh, that will be poured out upon this earth. And listen to what he says to them in Luke chapter 21 and verse 28, speaking about the last days of the great tribulation that's coming. And if it's true for the great tribulation, it ought to be true for, for minor tribulations. Notice what he says. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads. Why? Because your redemption is drawing near. Raise your heads. If your head is hanging right now, even if it's not physically hanging, 
but inside your heart it's hanging, then it's because you haven't placed your head in the hands of the Almighty God. Because when you're hanging your head, you're looking down and you're not looking up and you're focusing on your enemies and you're focusing on your problems and, and not on your Father and that's when you will live in defeat. Thank God we have a God who is the lifter of my head. That'll preach right there. <laughs> That ought to stick with you the rest of this week, the rest of this month, the rest of this year. That you have a God who lifts your head. Thankfully, David's problems had put him right where he needed to be, on his knees. Because look at what verse 4 goes on to say. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord. That's what we all ought to do when we're facing any trial, any tribulation, any circumstances that's causing us to hang our head, to be down and depressed and discouraged. We ought to go to the Lord in prayer and cry out to the Lord. I cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. Selah. When you read that, Understand God had David right where he wanted him. When David had focused on his enemies, he had forgotten his father. But when he focused on his father, he forgot all about his enemies. One of the reasons why God allows problems to come into our lives is to force us to pick up the prayer phone, to start talking to him to knock us off of our feet, to get us down on our knees so we can pray to Him. I want to show you something that, that many times we would miss if, we, if it wasn't pointed out to you. Go back to verse 1 and verse 2 and notice that the only time that God is mentioned is by David's enemies. His enemies say, your God. They're talking about his God. David's not speaking about his God. He, he's, it's the enemies who are speaking uh, about his God. So in verse 1 and verse 2, that's the only time that God is mentioned by David's enemies. But beginning in verse 3, God mentions David five times. God was there to meet David's needs all the time. But before David could have God's assistance, God demanded David's attention. When David found God, David found peace because notice what he goes on to say in verse 5. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. In other words, what you see there is David is no longer surrounded by the luxury of his palace like he had been up to this point. Now he's on the run. He no longer had the love of his people where they were adoring him. You remember what they used to say about David before this? Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. He got all kind of praise from the people. But no longer did he have that. No longer was he did he command the loyalty of his soldiers. And yet he says here in verse 5, I had the best night's sleep I've had in years. He finally had discovered that true security and true serenity, true peace is found only 
in God. You know, there are some people who sleep well at night because they've got savings in a bank, they've got a good job, they've got great health. But I've got news for you. Understand this, a, a thief can steal your savings. The stock market can crash and take away your money. The economy can take away your job. Disease can ruin your health. But nobody can take Jesus Christ away from you. You know what's so sad? There are a lot of people in this world who if they read the headlines that God was dead, they would go home and sleep like a baby. But if they got a phone call that they lost their job, they would be losing their minds. In other words, if you're putting your trust and you're putting your happiness and you're putting your peace of mind and your security and your faith and your hope in anything or anybody other than Jesus Christ, then you are headed for a big disappointment. doesn't matter how much you have. doesn't matter how many title deeds you have to your name. When you die, you're going to leave every bit of it behind. But the God in heaven says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. There's the good news. You have a father who loves you. But then I want you to see the best news. Notice the best news. It comes in verse 5 again down through verse 8. You have a future that should encourage you. You have people who will always be against you. You have a father who's always for you. And you have a future that should encourage you. Now, some of us, when we look at our future, we're, we're a little skeptical about what the future holds for us. But here we're going to see that, that God reminds David, and David speaks about this, that you ought to be encouraged by the future that you have. Now, I don't know what kind of problems you may be facing, what kind of difficulties you may be swimming through, or what kind of mountains you're trying to climb. I can tell you that if you know God, your future is as bright as the promises in His Word. David realized that, that with God, there's really no way he could ever lose. Did you know that? There is no way, if you are with God, that you could ever lose. When he realized that, David goes back to being the man that God created him to be and the person that God had called him to be. First of all, you notice that his courage comes back. What David says is kind of a little bit weird here. Look at verse 6. Verse 5, he said, I laid down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. We saw that peace there. But verse 6 goes on to say, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people. Now wait just a moment. Go back to verse 1. He said, how, there, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. And now he says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. And, and so his courage begins to come back. And you would think that anyone with common sense would be afraid of 10,000 people surrounding him, all wanting his scalp, all these who said these things about David in those earlier verses. But now David is saying, bring them on. I'm not afraid of anybody, no matter how big they may be, or any people, no matter how numerous they are. How could David say that? He could say that because David understood that God plus one is a majority in any situation. 
So, so let me let you in on this little secret. If God is on your side, it does not matter who is not on your side. You may think, well, this person isn't on my side or that person's not on my side. If God's on your side, it doesn't matter who's not on your side. But get this, if God's not on your side, it doesn't matter who's on your side. You can have all the people in the world on your side, but if God isn't on your side, you're on the wrong side. We don't need to get on the bigger side. We need to get on God's side. Because God's side is the best side, whether it's the biggest side or not. So listen to these words that in 2 Samuel chapter 22 and verse 47 down through verse 49 that give us encouragement. It says, The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be my God, the rock of my salvation. The God who gave me vengeance and brought down peoples under me, who brought me out from my enemies, who exalted me above those who rose against me, who delivered me from men of violence. David's courage came back. But also we see David's confidence came back. Notice in verse 7 through verse 8. So he said in verse 6, I won't be afraid of anybody, no matter how big the group is. Verse 7 he says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. You know, there's a trend, or actually I think it's somewhat of a, I don't know what they call it, a sport or whatever. I've seen videos of it online where they have competitions uh, with people slapping the other person. You ever seen any of those kind of videos? Uh, they'll, they'll, the person just has to stand there. I don't know if they have to put their hands on the, the table thing that's in front of them or what, but they just have to stand there while the other person swats and hits them. That's kind of the image of what you see here. He says, my God slaps him upside the cheek and he breaks their teeth. They thought they were going to get away with it, but he knocks them out. And so the word that he uses for salvation here in verse 8, is the same word that's used for deliverance and salvation back in verse 2. So you can again translate that word victory. So what we get here is that David finally figures it out. He, he, in, in any situation, victory belongs to the Lord. You, you believe that, right? Victory belongs to the Lord. So if we know that victory belongs to the Lord, and as if a child of God, I belong to the Lord, then that means the victory belongs to me. Any child of God who is living by the Word of God and walking in the will of God and filled with the Spirit of God and committed to the work of God can never, ever lose. That's why our confidence should be totally unshaken. Not because of us, but because of him. Finally, we also notice that David's contentment had returned to him. David's contentment had returned to him. So he said in verse 8, salvation belongs to the Lord... But then notice that last phrase, 
your blessing be on your people. Selah. David finally understood that even in the middle of your deepest, darkest trials, God's blessing is always upon you. It doesn't matter how, how dark the thunderclouds may be that are hanging over your life, they'll always, some way, somehow, some shape, some form, contain showers of blessing. Because isn't that what he says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 28? He says, all things work together for good to those who love the Lord, to those who are the called according to his purpose. He doesn't say some things. He doesn't say the good things and not the bad things. Even in the bad, when the storm is at its worst in your life, there are showers of blessing. When you get in the middle of a battle, you'll be victorious. Because understand that as a child of God, as long as you're living for Him, you're never out from under His blessing. When you're in the middle of the battle, you'll be victorious. Because understand, God made David victorious. You go back and you read the story of what happened in this occasion. You remember that when Absalom had David in his sights, he could have killed him. And yet God causes Absalom to listen to some bad advice. And instead of pursuing David and capturing David when he could have, he lets him go. And when he finally does fight his father, David has had plenty of time now to gather strength and was ready for the battle when he wasn't before. And he defeats his son and Absalom dies in the process. What a story. What a lesson for us. One of the greatest players on the New York Yankees was Lou Gehrig. And whenever you hear the name Lou Gehrig, what do you automatically think of? Lou Gehrig's disease. At the very height of his career, uh, Lou Gehrig had contracted, contact, con, contra, contracted this disease, and he had to retire from baseball. And on Lou Gehrig Day, July the 4th, 1939, he stood before 60,000 fans, and he gave one of the greatest speeches in the history of sports. He said, fans, for the past two weeks, you've been reading about a bad break that I got. Yet today, he said, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. He said, I've been in ballparks for 17 years and have never received anything but kindness and encouragement from you fans. He said, look at these grand men who are gathered beside me. Which of you wouldn't consider it the highlight of his career to associate with them for even one day? He said, sure, I'm lucky. He said, when the New York Giants, the team you would give your right arm to beat and vice versa, send you a gift that's something, that's something. He said, when everybody down to the groundskeeper and those boys in the white coats remember you with trophies, he said, that's something. When you have a wonderful mother-in-law, he said, who takes sides with you and squabbles against her own daughter, that's something, he said. When you have a father and a mother who work all their lives so that you can have an education and build your body, it's a blessing. He said, when you have a wife who's been a tower of strength and shown more courage than you dreamed existed, that is the finest I know. He said, so I close in saying that I might have had a tough break, but I've had an awful lot to live for. You've got an awful lot to live for. Less than two years from that speech that Lou Gehrig gave, he died. And even when he faced an enemy, 
that would eventually kill him. I can't say that whatever the struggle is you're facing, that you're going to come out of it physically on this side, peachy keen, everything's going to be great and fine. But I can promise you that on the other side, you're going to come out peachy keen and fine if you know Jesus as your Lord and your Savior. So the next time you're in one of these difficult times, these difficult moments, one of those Lou Gehrig moments, just remember you have a song for today when trouble comes where you can know that even when the enemies are surrounding you and when they are stacked against you, that you have people who will be against you, remember that you have a Father who is always for you and you have a future that should encourage you because your future is as bright as God's promises that will never, ever fail. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that when troubles come, we are reminded through this psalm that you are always there for us. Father, I don't know what people are going through that are here tonight, what troubles or tribulations or discouragement they may be facing. I don't know what people who are watching online may be, but Lord, I pray that this message has come at an opportune time for them. Lord, that they would begin at least with the very beginning steps to get their focus off of their problems, to get their focus off of the enemy, Lord, to get their focus off of themselves, and to begin, Lord, that you would lift up their heads. Father, I pray that as they lift up their heads, may they focus on you. And may, you see, may they see the wonderful victory that is in you. May they see and experience the peace that passes all understanding that only comes in your presence. And so, Father, I pray tonight that this passage, this psalm, will stick in our hearts for days and weeks and months and years to come so that when we're going through the next trial, we've got it there as an arsenal to remind us that no matter how many enemies we have or how big the enemy may seem, Lord, you are with us and you will see us safely through to the other side in glory. So, Father, we give everything to you because we know we have the victory. We can't ever lose. We know the end of the story. We win. And so, Father, I pray that we'll live in that confidence of that victory. And, Father, I pray that we will be a great witness to this world of the great God that we serve. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand and sing our hymn of invitation, only trust him. Will you come as the Lord lays on your heart? If you're at home there, we encourage you, if whatever decision you make, if you'll just comment there in the comments so we can be able to follow up with you. But as we stand, number 317, only trust him.
Amen, amen. Thank you so much for being here tonight. Thank you for joining with us uh, there online. Uh, just wanted to share a text message that we got from Stan Smith asking for prayer for Bill Hargrove, who is Ann's dad, uh, that he had a seizure uh, at their cookout this afternoon and is at Harton now. So be in prayer for uh, Bill Hargrove and for Ann and her family uh, through all of that. So thank you so much for joining with us. We look forward to seeing you back Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. Uh, we'll be back in the book of Micah again, so come and join us. What a wonderful blessing that is. You have a blessed week. Stay safe, and we'll see you this Wednesday.